This episode is brought to you by Studio Sweden Sound Design. Friends, if you are in the market for some new earbuds or headphones, you will want to check out Studio Sweden. They are the maker of a line of luxurious earbuds and headphones. That's the only word I can think of to describe them. I have their earbuds and I love them. I'm really picky about earbuds and these are phenomenal. They fit really well. They're comfy. They have great sound. And if you order using our promo code WOMENTRANSCEND15, you can get 15% off of your purchase. So check out Studio Sweden. It's S-U-D-I-O, studiosweden.com, and you will fall in love like I did. And don't forget promo code WOMENTRANSCEND15. This is Jennifer Todd. We are bringing you a special episode of Women Transcend this week. Normally, we spend at least two or three weeks in production. We are turning this episode around in a day. So we're calling it an emergency podcast because, frankly, this has been a really shitty week for women. This is going to be the first podcast that we will put an explicit next to. So we're going to talk about the week and what has happened. So buckle up. This is no holds barred look at the undoing of some really important policies that affect women, children and families. So this week... We saw the undoing of a lot of policies and programs that were put in place to protect the health, the safety, the welfare, and the rights of women and girls and families. And what I note is that the last couple of weeks, we've had some horrendous stories that have sucked up news time. There have been, as I'm sure you're you are aware, a series of catastrophic hurricanes, followed by the horrendous mass shooting in Las Vegas. But what this administration, the Trump administration does, is it uses these distractions to slide past some policy maneuvers that might otherwise cause people to rally, cause people to go to town halls, cause people to get upset. And so we are going to unpack what has happened, what has escaped media attention, but unfortunately is not escaping a very real impact on women and children. So my co-host John and I are sitting down with cocktails. John has a beer. You want to go ahead and open your beer? I certainly do. Hang on. <laughs> and, yes. And I am. I have a cocktail. And um, we're just going to discuss how far we slid backwards over a very short time. And I will start with what happened on Friday, sort of under the cover of this mass shooting. 
Are these going to be in chronological order no, or in, no, in order um, of terribleness? <laughs> that's, that's a good question. Because they're all terrible. Yeah. So on Friday, the Trump administration's Department of Health and Human Services. Scare quotes. <laughs> they allowed an exemption to the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, which was known as the contraception mandate. And that required employer-sponsored health plans to cover various forms of birth control. So under the new rules that were adopted by Health and Human Services, hiding behind the mass shooting in Las Vegas, employers who object to birth control for what they can deem religious or moral or otherwise reasons can refuse to grant female employees access to free contraception through their employee-sponsored insurance plans. And this applies to all employers, including for-profit corporations. So you might remember a hullabaloo about Hobby Lobby yes, saying that they were morally against birth control. But this decision imperils access to birth control for millions of women. And it allows the employer to deny basic health care to female employees. And the Trump administration has ostensibly elevated the rights of birth control opponents and businesses over that of the rights of women to receive this basic health care. So federal law now enshrines the idea that women's health care choices may be dictated by their bosses. This isn't a new argument. Conservative religious groups have long claimed that the ACA or Obamacare's contraceptive mandate is an attack on their free exercise of religion. And they argue that compelling employers to cover contraception violates their religious conscience. The Obama administration, it's important to point out here, really went out of its way to try to satisfy these groups and accommodate their objections. So nonprofits were allowed to submit an objection in writing to Health and Human Services, explaining their objection, and also notify their insurance provider. And then their insurance provider could offer separate insurance to female employees who wanted to purchase a plan that would cover contraception. And this was an accommodation to specifically religious nonprofits who said that they were morally against contraception and it violated their rights to require them to offer insurance coverage to their female employees that covered in contraception. Well, essentially what happened on Friday is that the gates were blown open on this. Anyone who wants can receive this accommodation. They don't have to cover contraception. So for-profit, non-profit, religious, whoever, Dow Chemical could say, 
suddenly I think that this company does no longer believes in contraception and we do not want to pay for it. So insurance provider, write this out of our policy. We're not going to pay for it anymore, which saves money for them on insurance. Yeah. So essentially any company for profit or non not for profit, religious or otherwise can say we object to providing free contraception for our women employees. We are not going to cover it anymore. We're writing it out of our insurance plan. And, you know, this was one of the essential, the talk about rolling back Obamacare or, or repealing Obamacare. This is one of the essential services. Yeah. So they are managing to roll back Obamacare bit by bit, just like they have done with the right to access abortion care, which brings me to the 20-week abortion ban. And now I'm going to have to take a drink from my mixed drink. For, for sustenance. Yes. I'm going to have to gird myself to take this one on. I will add here before we move on, we will be joined in a few minutes. Um, we're doing an interview with an outspoken obstetrician gynecologist who will talk with us about what it means to have access to contraception, what it means when that access is denied. Essentially, what it means is you are removing agency from a woman. But we'll, I'll save that. Um, we will be joined shortly in a, an interview, so, so hold tight. The 20-week abortion ban... It will come to no surprise to listeners that rights to accessing abortion care have been slowly being peeled away. The anti-abortion activists, I think, have realized that a full-on attack on Roe versus Wade was not going to work. So instead, they have taken an onion approach, and they're just going to peel and peel, and peel. And they have done that at state level. They have done that. And in many states, it is nearly impossible to access an, a, an abortion provider. There just aren't any. Or it. they have, uh, different states have implemented various hurdles that a woman has to go through in order to access this care, like, mandatory wait time, mandatory ultrasound, a bucket load of foolishness. I will just leave it there. So on Tuesday, again, under the cover of a mass shooter, they took cover from that man. The House of Representatives passed a bill that would ban any abortion after 20 weeks of gestation. The bill, H.R. 36 was sponsored by Representative Trent Franks from the great state of Arizona, and it makes it a crime to perform or attempt to perform an abortion after 20 weeks of pregnancy with the possibility of a fine and up to five years in prison or both for performing an abortion after 20 weeks of gestation. There are exceptions in the bill allowed in cases of rape, 
incest or to save the life of the woman. And they probably needed to put these caveats in there to get it to pass. But it did pass along party lines, as expected. It's not likely that it will pass in the Senate because the Senate would have to get 60 votes. And right now they have a 52-seat majority, so they would need to get at least eight Dems to vote with them to move the legislation forward to be signed into law by Donald Trump. But nevertheless, Senator Lindsey Graham is promising that he will introduce the companion bill to the Senate floor soon. And the White House has said that it, quote, strongly supports the bill and applauds the House of Representatives for continuing its efforts to secure critical pro-life protections. So the anti-abortion groups have argued that a fetus can feel pain at 20 weeks gestation, and so it should not be lawful to perform an abortion after 20 weeks. I will add here that there are several birth defects or birth anomalies that are not apparent at 20 weeks of gestational age. So this means that an expectant mother could learn, let's say at 25 weeks in an ultrasound or 30 weeks in an ultrasound that her fetus, let's say the brain is not developing. This law makes it illegal for that pregnancy to be terminated. In some cases, these are fetuses that can survive. By survive, I mean they have enough brain stem capacity to continue respiration and cardiac activity, Yeah, but not much past that. Yeah. So this bill would make it against the law for a family to make the very difficult choice to terminate that pregnancy. And- For anybody that thinks that the decision to terminate a pregnancy is an easy one and, you know, somebody's sitting around and they're six months pregnant and they're like, you know what, after six months, I've just decided uh, not so much. I'm not into it anymore. Yeah, exactly. I want to put my skinny jeans back on. Let me just disabuse you of that because that is bullshit. Yeah. That's just bullshit. If you read about late-term abortions, you will see that these are very tragic and painful, psychologically painful decisions that expectant mothers, expectant parents have to make. And by putting this artificial time cap on 20 weeks, it would assure that there would be mothers that would have to carry to term babies that will die immediately upon birth or will die in utero or will survive and will essentially be infants for as long as they are alive. Yeah. So that was Tuesday's news, the 20-week abortion ban. And it's time for another drink. Yep. hope you all take a second just pour yourself a little libation no judgment whatever whatever you want a coke that's fine the hard stuff whatever you want because we're not done yet so 
Unfortunately, we have two other things to cover. The Children's Health Insurance Program, or the State Children's Health Insurance Program, otherwise known as CHIP or S-CHIP. I haven't heard about this piece of news. Don't tell me that this is going down too. Yes. As a matter of fact, um, this is specifically aimed at getting low-income children whose parents don't qualify. I mean, if you've ever applied for any quote-unquote welfare, which essentially there is no welfare anymore, but for public benefit, it is not an easy thing to qualify for. And lots of people have just a little bit too much income or... You know, the father's present, so they don't call the states set up their own rules. And so CHIP was a way to extend some states set up Medicaid will fund to 100 percent of the federal poverty level, some 150 percent of the federal poverty level. It differs by states. We're a federation of states. And that's part of the greatness of this country. But it also is part of the weakness because we have some states that value the, the social safety net more than others. Drink. Yeah. So the Children's Health Insurance Program has been in place, I believe, since 1998 and has insured over that time millions of children. One of the other things that CHIP program did was allow states to extend coverage up to the age of 26 if they wanted to, which provided needed coverage for young adults during college years and immediately after college years when they're looking for a job. They may not have employer-sponsored health insurance, but Accidents happen to 25-year-old kids, unfortunately, and even 22-year-old kids get sick. Yeah. So it's imperative that they be covered by insurance. So back to the tragedy of CHIP. So at midnight on September 30th, the deadline to extend funding for the CHIP program passed and was not renewed, leaving 9 million children essentially unsure of their insurance status. So while Congress has been busy debating how to repeal Obamacare, this looming deadline has come and passed. There are some states that have enough money to fund CHIP for the short term, Most states still have some funds left in CHIP in order to continue its operation for the short term. But other states have taken the steps to notify families that they should be prepared for the loss of insurance. That's got to be terrifying. Yeah, exactly. Because these are not wealthy families. They're on CHIP because this is their one option. And... If anything has come out of the debate about repealing ACA, it's how expensive health care insurance is. It is expensive, and we need to do something about it. But leaving people uninsured is certainly not the answer. And children, this is, again, this is a children's health insurance program. It insures low-income children. So these are low-income families who may themselves not have 
health insurance coverage, but they know they have CHIP for their kids, so they know that at least their children will be able to go and get well-child visits, or if their child you know, falls and breaks a bone, they will be able to take them to the hospital and get a broken bone set, and they won't be $100,000 in debt. It just sounds evil. It is evil. Let's call it what it is, because this is leaving low-income children in desperate need. They are in imminent danger. It's worse than taking candy away from a baby. It's like taking doctor's visits away from babies. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. And this program has been in place and has been lauded for its great success and all the evaluations on how it's done and the the return that we've gotten for this money have been extraordinarily positive. Nobody has been saying that CHIP program is a waste of money. We shouldn't be giving kids free well visit checks or, you know, making sure that, that kids are covered by health insurance if they're in an accident. Again, low income children. These are this is not socialized medicine. So the Minnesota State Health Department sent a letter to Congress and warned them that their CHIP funding actually was set to run out on September 30th. So states did warn Congress that if funding was not extended, then their programs essentially would end. So Congress knew this, and yet they let CHIP lapse. There are nine other states that will run out of money before the end of the year. And um, there's a lot of uncertainty about what the rest of the states are doing. And, you know, they're trying to come up with contingency plans to keep their programs from shutting down and to keep these children insured. So that's CHIP. And now it's time for a drink. This, drink. this could be a drinking game. <laughs> uh, uh, drink when you hear a very sad, a horrible policy sad <laughs> drinking game. Yes, the world's most, uh, the world's uh, saddest drinking game. Uh, All right, and finally, this wouldn't be a show if we didn't mention Betsy DeVos. That that right there, I got a drink. <laughs> what has she done now? That impish little elf, you know what she did. The Department of Education rescinded a set of guidelines that were issued in 2011 that spelled out how colleges and universities must handle allegations of sexual assault between students or they would risk losing federal funding under Title IX. Title IX is the law you might know that bars discrimination on the basis of sex. So in 2011, the Obama administration informed universities through the Department of Education that schools had to adjudicate cases based on, quote unquote, a preponderance of evidence standard. Meaning that whether it is more likely than not that the alleged assault occurred. It also required a 60-day limit for cases to be evaluated and allow accusers to appeal not guilty findings while discouraging cross-examination of accusers. So it was sort of guidelines, but it set the bar 
and expectations by the Department of Education at risk of loss of funding. And advocates of this policy say that the Obama-era reforms made it a lot easier for victims of sexual assault to come forward. So data indicates that nationally, two-thirds of sexual assaults go unreported. And that's according to the RAIN network or Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. And there's an even wider divide on college campuses where it's estimated that only 20%, 20 that's one in five, 20% of sexual assault victims go to the police. So most rapes go unreported on college campuses. So by holding the universities responsible for handling sexual assault cases, the Obama administration was trying to put pressure on universities to take this situation more seriously. But Betsy DeVos stepped into Title X, and she added fuel to the fire by focusing on the rights of the wrongly accused. She set up meetings with men's rights groups, hearing their complaints about sexual assault and being wrongly accused. And I would just add here, if you're interested in learning about men's rights groups, they, many of them are closely aligned with the alt-right. And we did an episode on the alt-right back in the spring. You might want to give that a listen. It is disturbing. So she met with men's rights groups and these groups then reported that they felt emboldened by what they perceived as a leveling of the playing field. Now, my question... A what? Yeah. What, what, is, what are they considering the playing field? Oh, somebody's dorm room? I'm taking a drink. It's not a game, first of all. Yeah. Well, to some, it, it apparently is. But because the Trump administration, grab her by the pussy, has pretty obviously taken a very outwardly misogynistic view on women's rights, women's health, and women's policy, and girls' rights, girls' health, and girls' policies. These groups are feeling emboldened and empowered, and they're coming out and saying, but what about my rights Yeah, as an offender, as a rapist? Yeah. And because of this, there is new guidance from the Department of Education, which allows schools to evaluate cases not based on a preponderance of evidence, but a more explicit definition, clear and convincing evidence standard. So it requires a higher burden of proof on the victim. And as I'm sure you can imagine, that would mean that fewer victims will come forward. And given the fact that we know that already only one in five come forward, you can imagine how many assaults go unreported and now how many more. The message that we're giving to our young women in college I don't even have words. Yeah. I know what the message is that we're giving them, is that they don't matter. Yeah. And, you know, no does not mean no. In every single one of these policies, except for, say, if 
maybe children's health insurance, we are saying women do not have agency over their bodies. Yeah. And by that, I mean women do not own their bodies. Is there any other way that, that this could be interpreted? I can't see it. You know, it, it's saying that other people get to make the decisions and you don't. Your decision doesn't matter. Your opinion doesn't matter. And beyond that, your body doesn't matter. Your trauma doesn't matter. Yeah. Your injuries don't matter. Your voice does not matter. So shut the hell up. Yeah. And then, you know, sneaking all this in under the undercover, basically. Yeah, exactly. Not, not, giving, not giving the matter a fair hearing, an open hearing. Yes. Yes. Fair and open. And do we really want an administration... No. That... <laughs> no. Drink. <laughs> okay. Do we want an administration that lies and cheats and deceives the American people? I know the answer that I would give to that is hell, hell no. Yeah, yeah. My voice is, is not represented in any of these policies. Yeah. What about democracy, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. There, yeah. Let's, let's, you know, let's discuss this. Let's let everybody's voices be heard. Yeah. Well, clearly the administration was not interested in having discussion over these policy changes, and these are policy changes. Taking no action on a policy, that is a policy decision. Yep. It doesn't have to pass through Congress to be a policy. Yeah. So this administration has made decision after decision that has disenfranchised women, minorities, elderly, the disabled. I can't fathom how anyone would watch the news and think, yeah, that person is working for me. If you are, then you're not paying attention. That's the only conclusion that I can come to. Yeah. So stick around, please. Pour yourself another drink if you need to. Get a little... Except if you're on the road. <laughs> exactly. Please do not. Or if you're going to be driving. We don't know where people are going to be listening to <laughs> yeah, this. That's true. If you're in a safe place, yes. <laughs> have a drink. And um, be sure there's no like skeevy men around you just because we don't have the right to say no anymore. So lock yourself in a safe room, right? Yeah. That's a good rule of thumb all the time anyway. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but... Yeah, we don't have the right to say no anymore. So um, be sure you're safe and stick around. We have a great interview coming up about the importance. There's a lot we don't understand about contraception, and it goes way beyond the pill. So stick around for my discussion with Dr. Colleen Begley about our right to contraception. Welcome to Women Transcend, Colleen. Thank you very much for having me. 
I am thrilled to have you join us, although I am mad as hell about the topic that we're going to discuss. <laughs> so you bring an expert viewpoint to this topic, and that is what, and, and by the way, we have alcoholic beverages in front of us to make this topic go down a little easier, just, just <laughs> FYI. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> so... Friday, and as I have been describing, under the cover of a sniper's gun in Las Vegas, the Trump administration rolled back the mandate for birth control coverage, which was put in place by the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. So basically, any employer now, for pretty much any reason nonprofit, for-profit, they can say that they have a moral or religious objection and are no longer required to offer insurance that covers birth control. So can I ask you about some mythology around birth control? And that is that it makes women promiscuous. What would you say to that? Absolutely. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to dispel a lot of these myths. It's something that I do every day in the office. That is absolutely a myth. Many studies have been done that access to birth control as well as postcoital birth control or morning after pills do not in any way contribute to the uh, initiation of sexual intercourse for teens or young women or in any way do they lead to an increased number of partners. It just makes their behavior safer. Uh Uh-huh. So I saw actually a tweet by Stephanie Rule, who I love. She said, if birth control increases risky sexual behavior, then seatbelts increase drag racing. Because I'm sure people of drag race are all about wearing the seatbelts. Yeah, and yeah. Getting cars with the best airbags. Yes. <laughs> so in your opinion, and your years of experience working with women... If they come in and seek birth control, it's not because they just want to go hog wild and hit the club scene and just get it on. (laughs) (laughs) That is correct. And if they do, we talk about issues of consent and keeping themselves safe. And but nobody has ever uh, come in with that, uh, that in mind. And a lot of these issues that I deal with every day actually come up around giving the Gardasil vaccine. I have a lot of talks with moms who worry that Gardasil will cause these sort of risky behaviors and earlier initiation. And all the studies have shown, no, no, keeping people safe does not cause them to act in a riskier fashion. Yes. Thank you for adding that because I get asked that as well. And it's, it's ludicrous And the only analogy I can give is if you get a tetanus shot, are you out stabbing yourself with rusty nails a lot more? (laughs) No, it doesn't. (laughs) It protects you from a very specific kind of cancer. And if there was a vaccine that protected you from breast cancer, you would get it. So why is, yeah, why is Gardasil different? And Gardasil and birth control is all healthcare. Exactly, exactly. So how 
informed are women when they come in and young women, let's say, when they come in for maybe their first appointment and they ask for birth control, maybe their parents, their mother, their guardian, whoever doesn't even know that they're there. Mm-hmm. Um, are you still finding that they come in with bad information? I would say the demographic that I see, most of them are pretty savvy. Um, in Colorado in particular, this, there has been a large push for the last five or 10 years towards long acting reversible contraception towards teens and young women. So they are getting good information. Sometimes I do have to debunk some myths about how specific birth control works or if certain birth control like the IUD is going to make them sterile because, you know, you'll always have older relatives in the day of the, who remember the Dalcon shield yeah. talking in their ear. But for the most part, I would say young women are getting savvier about birth control options and getting set up and protecting themselves in their future. Yeah. Using a reliable and effective form of birth control allows women to plan pregnancies. What are some of the benefits of a planned pregnancy versus an unplanned, oops, pregnancy? Oh, it's everything. It is everything. It is a you know, unfortunately, only 50% of pregnancies are planned. The benefit of those which are planned are, you know, not only do you have health uh, benefits with the pregnancy, having a being able to space them having a lower risk of preterm delivery, you know, a woman being financially and emotionally ready to bear children, being able to make choices about her fertility is really the key to her future. I mean, otherwise, before reliable birth control, women were having, you know, kids every 18 months or so, if you count to gestation and breastfeeding, you know, and that was their entire lives from menarche to menopause. So Uh I would say health benefits as well as all the, you know, social, economic, political benefits that are the basis of feminism are tied into controlling uh, bodily autonomy. Yeah, exactly. And and women's agency. Yes. Lots of things happened in the last week that directly affect women's agency. And one thing, if I can add, um, I don't think this took any of us by surprise. Ever since the election, we have been getting phone calls of women asking for the long-acting reversible contraceptives because this was made very clear that if a Republican were elected, the birth control mandate would go away. So, you know, ever since the election, women have been calling saying, hey, I want an IUD. Hey, I want an explanon, you know, and sort of moving away from the monthly birth controls that are subject to the whims of, you know, whoever is in office. Uh Uh-huh. We've had patients come in whose IUDs were not even due to be switched out, you know, asking for it to be switched out so they could, you know, start over another five or 10 years and not have to worry about who's in office. And that, that's been really curious as a physician, like, really, you want this IUD switched out even though it doesn't need to be yet? Yeah. Now, that is, I, we touched on this, but that's another myth that you can't have an IUD unless you promise, pinky promise your 
physician that you are not planning any further pregnancies? Oh, no. Yes, exactly. That is absolutely a myth. We really encourage women to consider IUDs, even if they want to get pregnant in 18 months. One of the interesting thing about IUDs, even before this birth control uh, mandate came up is, you know, you worried about patients who did have to pay even out of pocket for it. And if you prorate the costs for the IUD itself, it's something like it pays for itself in 18 months when you compare a $30 pack of pills every month, that IUD is going to be financially worth it for 18 months. Uh-huh. And that, that's just the financial, you know, thinking about it, not let alone, you know, the superior efficacy, how much better it works and just convenience. The convenience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't have to show up every month. Um, right. Yeah. And it's just so much more effective. And there are a lot of myths around IUDs. I mean, I, I won't go too much into that because I know you're asking the question about abortifacious. <laughs> so I won't go into that yet. Sorry. You're not going to spoil. <laughs> okay. So since we're on the topic, yes. um, tell me about the forms of birth control that actually cause abortion. Zero. There are no uh, FDA approved forms of birth control that cause an abortion. The plan B doesn't cause abortion. Absolutely not. The way that it works is it delays ovulation in the vast majority of cases. There may be some cases in which fertilization is impacted, but in no way does it cause an already fertilized uh, zygote or embryo to be lost. Yeah. So there's no implantation. Um, Correct. So it's dividing cells. Correct. Yes. Okay. And so this has been, I mean, you know this better than I do. This has been around for a long time. People think that the IUD causes an abortion. And is that the case? That is absolutely not the case. And that is an excellent point. I, I think the IUD has really had a public relations crisis that Fortunately, it's now overcoming because everybody's older relatives remembers the Dalcon shield in the 70s, making many women infertile and even causing death from infection. That problem has been resolved. The strings of IUDs, modern day IUDs are not like the Dalcon shield. The primary way, there are two big classes of IUDs. One is the copper IUD, aka the Paragard. And that one works, I like to compare it to a bug zapper. It sits in the uterus and sperm swims up and the copper is very spermicidal. So basically it's just zapping the sperm in the uterus. A secondary one is it may make the uterine cavity less hospitable to implantation, but really the vast majority of that sperm are just, you know, are just gone. Yeah. The second class of IUDs are the hormone-containing, progesterone-containing IUDs, such as Mirena and Liletta. The way that they work is very similar to the way that the Nexplanon implant or Depo-Provera work is progesterone thickens up the cervical mucus. So that basically is makes sort of a, a barrier for sperm to enter the uterus. There, a secondary way that the Mirena w- might work is by affecting ovulation, but by no means does it um, block ovulation every month. It's primarily by thickening up the cervical mucus. So 
in you know neither of the two classes of IUDs is disrupting an already implanted embryo a, a mechanism of action so in a broader picture who are the women that are going to suffer the most from this rollback of the coverage mandate women who don't have resources like always yeah. like always yeah. if a woman has money who can travel who can pay 30 50 bucks a month for her contraceptive of choice it will probably continue to be available to her but it will be women who are dependent on the insurance that they are paying for every month they're the ones who are going to suffer like always uh-huh and so these are the women also that are in probably the least optimal position to accommodate an unwanted pregnancy. I mean, financially. And I find it almost cruelly ironic because in many cases, the Republican Party paints itself as the party of personal responsibility. But when you take away a woman's ability to have personal responsibility over her own body and be responsible in terms of not getting pregnant when she's not financially available to, it it just is very inconsistent to me. I've never understood it. I I think it just boils down to wanting to control women's fertility. Exactly. And imagine hypocrisy. I mean, from our, from our administration, from this administration, it's shocking because they've been, they've been so consistent. Um, (laughs) But this is just another layer of the onion, and that onion is women's rights. And again, you know better than I do because you are sort of on the proverbial front lines of this fight. They have been just picking away layer after layer of access to care, and they may call it anti-abortion. They may call it religious freedom. They may call it an employer's right to free speech, but what it comes down to is control of women. Yes. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think those examples really illustrate it. It's it's something that, as I said, even before the election, people were worried about it, and we've just been waiting for these rollbacks to to come for the last... uh, the last nine months. Yeah. And I can't help but think, you know, again, working in this space for, you know, 20 years or so, that ultimately the hidden agenda is to remove women from the workforce. Mm, Very handmaid's tale. Right? Because women cannot control fertility. Then women are home caring for children, removes them from the workforce There's even more justification to pay women less than men. And it fits with the narrative of the disenfranchised white man so beautifully. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I can't, I can't work out any other justification because it's not, it's not religious. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though, let me pull up, I have a, a gorgeous quote here from your friend and mine, Huckleberry Sanders. The president believes that the freedom to practice one's faith is a fundamental right in this country 
This is a president who supports the First Amendment, supports the freedom of religion. I don't understand why that should be an issue. That was from the White House press secretary, whom I call Huckleberry Sanders. Oh, I just understood that. It took me a second. (laughs) I thought this was somebody's Twitter handle. No, no, no. I can't say the person's name. But we are, you know. Huckleberry Huckabee Sanders, yes. (laughs) Sorry, I'm I'm in a professional mode. So I'm like, who is Huckleberry Sanders? Who is this Huckleberry of of whom is Is she painting a fence? (laughs) (laughs) But honestly, we know this is bullshit because this is a president who is not a religious man. And anybody who says that he is, is steeped in cognitive dissonance. This has nothing to do with religion. No. no. Um, As as somebody who listened to him uh, on Howard Stern in the 90s, he he was an absolute libertine. He was all about, you know, sex and power. And no, no, there's nothing biblical about Donald Trump. (laughs) No. (laughs) All right. Is there anything else that you wanted to cover? Well, what I would say to all your listeners is go out there and get an IUD, get an Explanon, something that will uh, last through. uh, I'm trying because I don't want to say our president's uh, term of office. I don't want to get too overtly political in my uh, uh, professional guise, but I would just encourage people to consider birth control you know, that will last through this administration and, uh, you know, that won't be dependent on who's paying for it, you know, and we're just waiting for this to take effect and for employers to take birth control off, not because of some strongly held moral or religious objective, just because they don't want to pay for it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It Um, won't just be Hobby Lobbies and the Catholic organizations. I think it's going to be a whole lot of employers who who just see that as a reason to pull coverage. Yep. A whole lot of employers who are headed by old white men. Yeah. Who don't think that women's health issues impact them. And they have said this. So this isn't breaking news. They have said this when we were, you know, debating Obamacare, they have said, why is access to, well, women visits, why is access to birth control? Why do I have to pay for that? I don't give birth. Why, why should I have to fund that? Which is, you know, absolutely ridiculous. You know, if you you don't have a child in the public schools, you still have to pay for it because it's a public good. Indeed. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, the Baron yeah. Spinster concurs. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that just goes with the whole, um, was that Bill O'Reilly and Sandra Fluke, how he was essentially slut shaming her. How dare you, you know, have sex. Uh, you can get $9 birth control at Target or Walmart. That's a cost of one drink in Georgetown. I mean, I, I find that just so helpful. I mean, sex is not recreational, you know, sex is a part of human health. Yes. Everybody has sex. Religious people have sex, you know, Republicans have sex. And guess what? The vast, vast majority of those religious people and Republicans are using some form of birth control. And it absolutely is preventive care. It's not, 
you know, if we as a society decided with the Affordable Care Act to cover preventive services that will help to reduce health care costs and help to improve society's health down the line, birth control neatly falls into that. Exactly. That's an excellent point. And this is goes to a bigger struggle with cognitive dissonance about preventive care. And, yeah. you know, how much do we really support preventive care? And um, back to the personal responsibility, you know, if you're overweight, if you have heart disease, this is often a little bit of a tangent, but it's related because it's real easy to blame the person that gets sick because you didn't practice better health behaviors and then you got sick and we shouldn't have to subsidize your health insurance because you drank and smoked. Right, right. So I want to just go back and underline an important point that you made, which is if this is coming, it's coming soon, it's a good time maybe to make an appointment with your um, OBGYN and have a discussion about if you are a candidate for a long-acting reversible contraceptive like an IUD. Absolutely. Yeah. That is something that will cover you for five years, 10 years. And it's if your insurance covers it now, get it paid for while you can before companies start dumping out of insurance policies that currently are required to cover them, but soon they will be written out of the policies, we're guessing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, a wide variety. It doesn't even need to be with an OBGYN because access to us, unfortunately, can be limited in some parts of the country. I mean, this is really what the Planned Parenthood and the county health centers, they are outstanding at providing these services for all women, including low-income women, nurse practitioners, uh, nurse midwives. All of these are providers who can uh, place IUDs and Nexplanon and are one of the... Uh, biggest changes in the last five years is really the emergence of these LARCs, these long-acting reversible contraceptives, as first line for women of reproductive age who desire contraception, including teenagers. So a visit to any of these clinics can be very good at uh, dispelling a lot of myths and getting people hooked up with some contraception that's going to help them in the future. And even if, if you call, if you have an OBGYN that you usually visit and you call and you can't get in, I'm guessing that Planned Parenthood, but also maybe your general, your GP, your general practitioner, your family practitioner may be willing to, or that might be part of services they offer. Absolutely. Yeah. Not all of them. And some of them may not be as up to date on the fact that it's first line. But if they, you know, look at their uh, American Association of Family Practice literature, it absolutely is. If, And this is something that is always a personal pet peeve of mine when I talk to a patient or when I read online that somebody was denied an IUD because they were a teenager and had not given birth yet, it makes my head want to explode. Yeah. I mean, because that is not only untrue, but you know, the professional organizations are really trying to promulgate the the fact that these are not only appropriate, but actually first line for teens. Uh-huh. 
Great. Well, I thank you so much for all of your advice and thoughts on this issue, which is so important. And I think that it's not really understood because it hasn't gotten a lot of media attention because there are lots of horrible things going on in the world. Um, And I think that this might sneak up on some women and that, you know, they make an appointment and they turn it into their insurance and it gets denied because guess what? The company's CEO says that he has a moral difference with contraception. So it's time to think about this. It's also time if you're a woman and you think this is wrong, it's time to let your legislators, your congresspersons at the state level, uh, because there are things that fall under the jurisdiction of state legislatures. Also, let your congressperson, hopefully they know you by now. Hopefully you have been in touch. (laughs) (laughs) And if you haven't been barred from their office for doing something obnoxious, um, (laughs) then make your voice heard because this, you know, I really hate the argument of slippery slope. And I always say, you know, if that's the best you've got, you don't have an argument. But fucking hell this is a slip (laughs) this is a slippery slope and um we are sliding down really fast i feel like yes i encourage all my patients to stay woke (laughs) thank you yeah (laughs) all right well thank you so much for joining us for this really important discussion colleen appreciate it Of course. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak about something very close to my heart. Thanks for joining us for this episode, this special episode of Women Transcend. If you enjoy our podcast, even though this one wasn't maybe that enjoyable, an easy way to help support us is to tell one friend about our show and how you found us. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so that you can be sure you won't miss an episode. It will show up in your podcast player automatically. A big thanks to Dr. Colleen Begley for today's interview. And of course, to John Philbeck for doing all of the fabulous sound artistry so that we sound so good. Give us a follow on Facebook at Women Transcend because we always enjoy hearing from you. That's all for this episode. 